Anyway, yes, listen, talk about guests. We have a powerhouse of a woman. You know, I always say that. And you know, I always mean it because I have incredible, incredible guests. I'm so fortunate to know the most amazing people. I wonder when corporations say they can't find the right people to connect with me because that's just so not true. And my guest today is a perfect example of courage personified and accomplishments personified. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Charlene and let Charlene tell you her story. So the first thing we're going to do is say hi. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be with you today. Oh, it's great. And you know what? We met through colleagues, Dr. Yeah. Malikian uh, and Charlene are in the same TED Talk, um, I guess you'd call it coaching program mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and so um, we're in for a great interview today um and so why don't we start with which i love to start with tell mm -hmm. us about how you got to where you are from childhood tell us about your parents everything yeah so um let's see i'm originally from uh, oakland california uh, I was born there. Uh, I always say not the good part, but uh, but we were family nonetheless. Uh, you know, I grew up in a little bit of a rough childhood. My um, my father, uh, I'm sure he was a wonderful man, but he was not a great father or husband, and he was abusive. And uh, when I was seven, my mother uh, left my father because I had gotten very sick. And uh, my doctors uh, told my mother that I was sick. Um, that I wasn't physically sick, that actually it was all emotional and it was presenting itself physically. And so after 20 years of marriage, that was all my mother needed to hear uh, to decide to leave my father. And uh, I have three older brothers and uh, they stayed with my father and my mother said, no, you're coming with me. And she raised me as a single mother. Uh, she worked really hard her entire life. She uh, she passed away when she was in her late 50s, um, having a heart transplant, uh, which I think is just testament to what um, what stress can do to us, uh, quite frankly, from a physical perspective. And, you know, I was um, so blessed to have her. You know, they say the lights that shine the brightest shine for half as long. And I, I think that's true in her case. And so, you know, she taught me some really important lessons in uh, being a girl. Uh, being a black girl in our um, in our country and in our society and you know the the first thing she taught me was courage quite frankly was to have the courage to do what I needed to do um, in order to uh, get what I wanted and also to have the courage to not just make it all about me and so I uh, I went to college um, I'm the first person in my family to uh, ever go to college. So broke that generational track there. And um, and when I graduated uh, undergrad, I, I went to Texas Tech and also New Mexico State. Uh, my mother had, I missed a part, my mother had moved us to New Mexico um, for no good reason at all, just because it wasn't Oakland, California. <laughs> so, so I grew up in, uh, in New Mexico, and so I, I did go to college there. And when I finished college, I, um, I had a job offer out in the Washington, D.C. area. And I thought, wow, that's a really far away. But I took the job and I packed up my car and my dog. I had a little dog at the time. And I said, OK, mom, let's go. And she said, oh, I'm not driving across country with you. And I said, I'm going by myself. And she said, yes, you are. You have the courage to do it. Go. And um, and so I drove across country by myself. And this was these were not in the days where you had GPS. These were the days where you pulled out your paper map, right, to chart your way, and you made a highlight, you know, line across your route before you left. And uh, you know, and I started in the corporate world and um, realized early on that um, there were not a lot of people who looked like me, and that you know I was going to have to dig deep for. 
for some strength and courage and resilience and all those things that go with it. And along the way, you know, through hard work, but not just hard work, because we all know it takes more than that. Uh, you know, I met some wonderful people. I've had great mentors uh, and uh, even better champions who helped me rise through the ranks uh, in the corporate world. And then um, at 53, when I was kicking butt and taking names and, you know, leading corporate affairs for a $40 billion company and flying all over the world, uh, I was diagnosed with cancer uh, for the second time, an aggressive form of cancer. And uh, once I went through what I thought was going to be a seven-month journey that turned into an almost five-year um, battle, and when uh, I've always been one of those people, and this is also something that I learned from my mother, uh, is that if something bad happens to you, you have a responsibility to turn it into something good for others. So I, uh, once I got better, I went back to work and I thought, okay, I'm making an impact here, but if I can make a bigger impact and create a ripple effect, right, that continues long after I'm gone, then I've turned what was meant for my harm and cancer into something really good. And that's what led me to where I am today. Wow. Okay. That's a lot, I know. That's, that's a lot, man. I <laughs> I'm going to now go back and ask you some questions. First of all, kudos to your mom, as we say. Uh, yes. One strong woman and mm -hmm. demonstrating courage, not just telling you to go out and be courageous. Right. People say, go be courageous. Right. First of all, they don't know what courageous means. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And second, they don't know what it would mean to you. And right. So, and three, they're not telling you how. <laughs> so, right, exactly. Yeah. It's... But, um, and so it's kind of, uh, you know, you, you're sort of left in the wind right? mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to do what somebody else thinks is courageous in their mind versus your mind and how to do it. Right. You know, and I think, you know, my first super courageous moment happened when I was 12 years old. That was my first, oh, I know, right? Talk about, you know, <laughs> leading you into a story. So when, um, so when I was, I guess I was 10 years old and we rented a house from a um, former Oakland Raider football player and um, Ben Davidson, he's, he's long been gone, but he's, he's known in the histories of football. And he gave us tickets to a home game. And my mother and I went, she was a huge football fan. And my mother and I went and I saw these um, women on the field that I'd never seen before. They were the cheerleaders, right? And they were sparkly and shiny and happy. And, you know, they were all the things that I wasn't. Right. And I thought I was so happy watching them, but I was also a little it made me a little sad because I thought, you know, I'm just a little skinny black girl, you know, that this is I could never do that. But then while I was watching it, I watching them, I thought, yeah, maybe I can. Maybe I can. And when I turned 12, so I was 10 at the time when I turned 12, I started junior high school and they had cheerleader tryouts and um. I decided to try out. I said, okay, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to try out. And I did. And um, I made it as the fourth alternate, right? So think about that, the fourth alternate. It's like, what is that? Anyway, you're never going to get on that field. Yeah. And so I um, I thought, well, okay, that just went up and, and smoke. But then the, um, the sponsor, they weren't coaches at that time, the sponsor moved me up and put me on the team. And I asked her why, because, you know, in your 12 year old innocence, you don't know, I said, I, you know, but I know math, right? That, yeah. that some people had to leave the team in order for me to get on the team. And, um, and she said to me, CB, she said, you know, Charlene, you're talented and you're a nice little girl, but you're black. And I thought you'd be a troublemaker. So I didn't want you on the team. But now that I've seen you in class, you're nice and you're a sweet little girl. So I now want you on the team. And I think that was my first courageous moment because my thought, my first thought was to be hurt 
and to be angry, right? And to really start to try to figure out what was the deal here going on. And my teacher, you know, she she was the sponsor. She wasn't black. And I and I thought, and I can only say that it must have come from my mother, is that I'm going to turn this into something positive. I'm going to have the courage to go out there and be the best darn cheerleader ever, right? And people think about cheerleading as being this flighty little thing. And it's all about, you know, what you look like and jumping up and down and carrying these pom-poms. And it is all those things, which is great, but it also taught me leadership. It taught me how to stand up for myself. It taught me how to take risks. It taught me how to be in front of hundreds and ultimately thousands of people and perform, right? And I would say, and, and to even not be afraid to express my personality. And so that's why I say at 12 was my first really courageous moment. And I think that set the tone for the rest of my rest of my life, quite honestly. Well, so here's your really first point of being courageous is asking the coach why. Why? Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. is courageous. And, and that falls into, you know, what I call micro courage. <laughs> into a building to save somebody, but standing there in front of somebody of a different race mm -hmm. and you're fourth on the list and asking them, why are you moving me to the top? could have had all kinds of ramifications. And actually it did, mm -hmm. that's the second point of courage. Right. For you then to take those moments and move them into a positive zone, wow. And at yeah. your age at the time? Yeah, I, you know. Toledo. Yeah, it was it was crazy. But here's here to me is the funniest thing about it because sometimes people don't really think about how important their words are and how words matter, yeah. you know, I, and now I am 58 years old. I was 12 when that happened. I can recall that day and relive that day like it was yesterday. Wow. You know, words matter, you know, and I think sometimes people don't realize that. No, they don't. And they don't realize, I think even more than matter, words can be physical pivotal moments and mm -hmm. absolutely mm -hmm. um, so i want to go back and ask you something <laughs> to put the timeline together when did your mom divorce your dad when did when you I, get sick when i was seven ah mm -hmm. so she had the time to nurture you yes see what you, oh, wow wow mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's God, get, get, I, I'm speechless. Because <laughs> yeah. walking away, understanding, first of all, the fact that your mom understood the importance of getting you away. Yes. That environment. Mm -hmm. That so, speaks so volumes. And the fact that the doctors told her the truth. Let's go back there. Right, right. At that, I mean, we're talking in the drugs, you know. Yeah, we're talking the late sixties, early seventies, right? And here she she is a single black woman with a um, barely a high school education, right? And she she left. She, yeah. you know, she said, "My my daughter is more important than this." And she left and chose to, to raise me on her own. And, it, and it, I was a great kid, if I do say so myself. I didn't get into trouble or anything, but that didn't make it easy, right? I mean, there, you still have to make ends meet. You still have to, if you can imagine the, the, the bias and the racism that she probably dealt with, you know, and in those days, I believe, you know, those were still the days, if you can imagine, that you needed your husband's permission, you know, to rent a house. All right, you couldn't, people forget that the, some of the freedoms we have as women were not always that way. And as black women, oh, right. unattainable. Mm -hmm. and, and let's just go back a moment to sure. the doctors. Yes. Because kudos to those doctors who didn't, oh, what's the term that I want? Minimize 
your mm -hmm. mom's ability to understand what they're saying. Mm -hmm. I have been in so many situations where, you know, I'll be, I'll be with my husband, who's mm -hmm. white, and the doctors will look, either ignore me or start talking to me as though I was ignorant. Mm -hmm. And I'll look at them and I'll say something and they'll, what? That came out of her mouth? Right. I mean, fortunately, my family in Detroit, they're all doctors. So mm -hmm. ah, <laughs> that helps. <laughs> I'll come out with something out of the clear blue. And they'll, uh, so for example, they'll, they'll talk to him about a specific medicine. And I'll look at them and I'll quietly say, but what about this version of what you're talking mm -hmm. about? And they'll go, uh, um, uh, yeah, that'll also work. <laughs> <laughs> right? The element of surprise, yeah, right? And they exactly. have the element of underestimation. Yeah, right? exactly. So mm -hmm. I love the fact that starting from the very beginning, um, the doctors there said to your mom what needed to be said, and that your mom then picked up on it and took an action. That's mm -hmm. a powerful set of events right then and there. That's a book in itself. Right, right. And you know, you know, CB, that's my life. You know, someone asked me, I, you know, I happen to be a, not happen to be, I am a Christian and very strong in my faith. And someone asked me recently, you know, you know, you can't just put everything up to your faith, right? You just can't say the, you know, as my mother used to always say, you know, God will provide, <laughs> you know? And I said, well, you know, there are so many points in my life where my life could have gone left and it went right. And there is no explanation for why that happened. Um, I said, that's why I have faith because without it, I can't even make sense of my life. You know, it's like, why did um, those doctors, you know, speak to my mother in a way that she understood? You know, why did she have the courage Yes. to leave a marriage she had been in for 20 years. Yes. It's not like it was new, right? Yes. She had been in it. You know, how did she have the courage to move, you know, across country with just the two of us? A daughter to take with her. Right. All of my brothers were given the option. Do you want to live with my mother? Or do you want to live with my father? And my mother said very clearly, you don't have an option. You know, I was oh. the youngest. And she said, you, you are mine you are mine, right? And there's, you know, there, and, and, you know even as, as an adult, you know, there, there have been so many times where things just should not have worked out and they did, you know? And, and to me, you know, a lot of it to me for, you know, may sound kind of woo-woo to some people, but, you know, it's my mother watching over me. You know, I am, I am her... You know, I am her living legacy and I don't take that lightly, not on any for given sure. day. For sure. And yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm the same way, you know, and um, I lost my mom and I say, okay, mom, I've got it. Mm -hmm. Or thank you. Or I'm just so grateful. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and it's, it's weird how after somebody passes who was so influential in your life, you realize how much more influential they are than what you thought they are. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And the yeah. courage to give them the kudos, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The stories. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a whole nother show. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. You and I, we got it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, okay. So then um, you went on, we'll, we'll skip a couple of things. And then mm -hmm. you went on to, um, after you moved to New Mexico, went on to college. What was your major? Um, my undergrad was journalism, public relations. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Of course. Yeah. Of course. Mm -hmm. So that gave you incredible bench strength. Wow. Yeah, it did. I just, I fell in love with words and um, meaning and 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 that has been my my entire career has been communications corporate affairs you know journalism i just i just love it still love it to this day 
Well, you have my envy because I am highly dyslexic. So ah, right, right. That can be a gift. That can be a gift. It is a right? gift. It is an incredible gift, but um, language not not one of the gifts. <laughs> right. <laughs> well, we all have our different gifts that we bring to the table. Strategy definitely right. a gift. Right? Mm -hmm. So, okay, so you go to school and you travel across country because your mom has the wherewithal to say, use your wings to fly now. Yes, she did. She did. I was the strength to say that. Well, you know, I can't imagine because my daughters are, um, I have two, they're 28 and 27. And even now, if and one lives in LA. And if she said to me that she was going to drive across country with her dog in here to DC, I would lose my mind. <laughs> right? I would flat out lose my mind. And, you know, you know, some people, you know, can confirm a story of her flying across country on in business class with a seat for her dog. Right. Which may or may not be true. But anyway, there was no way I was going to have her drive across country. I mean, I, I would lose my mind. And at that time with, with my mom, when I left, I was 21 years old, you know, just driving across country with my dog and my stuff, wow. which all fit in my car, by the way. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm through the south. Okay. Right. right. Yeah. It was, it was crazy. I was, and I, I was scared to death. Right. How do you deal with that? I would have been so scared. I, I was really scared, you know, because I had not at that point, I hadn't driven four hours anywhere. Right. And now we're talking a days long trip. And so I did things of, you know, making sure I stopped um, to at a hotel for the night before it ever got dark. Right. So I never drove if it was dark in the morning or dark in the evening. I never drove in the dark, you know, and I, I you know, what I think really helped me was because my dog was with me. I was so focused on keeping him safe. I wasn't focused on my own safety, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know, and it's, you know, I, I obviously I didn't intend it or plan it that way, but I just wanted to make sure he was OK. And I think it took some of my own fear away. You know, uh, I know and, exactly what you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I, but I was relieved when I got when I got here. <laughs> <laughs> when I decided to sell my house in New Jersey and move across country, I had my dog with me, and mm -hmm. it was such a focus on him. I didn't have any place to stay here in mm -hmm. Colorado, and I just said, "I'm doing it." <laughs> yeah. Right. I, I sold my house in the middle of my giving having a conference mm -hmm. and she said you know i'm just gonna let the chips fall where they may right i'm out of here <laughs> right but yeah. i was always worried you know was he by my side would he get loose would, you know mm -hmm. right you know mm -hmm. so yeah there's power in taking the attention away from yourself absolutely right well on so many levels there's well power in that so tell me so you walk in this young kid mm -hmm. and Corporate America, where was your first position? Um, I worked for IBM Federal Systems, actually, wow. okay. in Rockville, Maryland. Mm -hmm. wow. All right. And you mentioned that moving up, mm -hmm. you had great mentors and supporters. Mm -hmm. What did you know as a young Black woman, first job, how to unmask this kind of following? Oh, I didn't. I hadn't. I had no idea. You know, when you when you start a new job, everybody gives you the pretty much a version of the same advice. Right. Go in, put your head down, work really hard and someone's going to notice. Right. They're going to pluck you out of obscurity and you're going to have this great career. Yeah. So that was the advice I was yeah. given. Right. right. So to everybody listening, that's the worst career advice ever, right? Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. You know, I went in, I put my head down, I looked up and I realized the people who 
didn't put their heads down, but started talking to people and making sure that, you know, that their successes were known, were rising faster than I was. Well, actually they were rising. I wasn't rising at all. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a race because I wasn't moving. (laughs) And so, you know, as I, you know, I only stayed there for a year. Um, because in all of my wisdom of 22 years old at the time, you know, I thought, oh my gosh, these people could never work anywhere else. They only know how to work here. You know, I didn't know how right I was because those were the days of the IBMers kind of, you know, and, um, and so I moved around a bit and then ultimately landed at another um, big company. And, you know, and, and throughout those times, that throughout that time, you know, I started to understand what it looked like when I was being treated differently. You know, I started to understand what it looked like when I was not being listened to or spoken over, you know, because, you know, in those days we respected the hierarchy, right? You, you knew your place and you did what was asked of you. You didn't step out too far. And, but I just started noticing how that was working against me, not, you know, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but no. I want to know, because I went through the same thing. How did you get this awareness? What what made you, what mm-hmm. are the alarms, other than people getting promoted, what was it? What triggered you to understand what was going on? It was, you know, making friends at work. Um, friends who didn't look like me because there weren't people who looked like me and just asking questions and listening to what was happening with them versus what was happening with me. You know, I started paying attention to meetings that I wasn't invited to that given my expertise, I thought I should have been. Uh, I started noticing people talking over me, you know, or for me, giving my ideas but taking the credit because when I said it, nobody heard it. Right. And then just being kind of flat out ignored, like walking into a room and people behaving as though you're not even there. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Now the key key that I want to ask you is what did you start doing to make a change? I started, well, one, I, um, I really worked on my courage right? Because it it takes some courage to speak up. And I started saying things in meetings like, um, I'm sorry, I wasn't finished with my point. Can I finish my point? Right? And and I do it in in just the the same voice, you know, I wasn't trying to be combative or anything, you know, and then I'd, um, I'd get up the nerve to ask my boss, why is there a reason I wasn't invited to that meeting since I'm the one working on this project? And I always came at it from a point of curiosity, at least from their point of view, right? Uh, You know, and, you know, it's kind of that saying of you can get mad or you can get even, right? (laughs) Yes, yes. Right? And so for me, it was, I wasn't going to get mad and, you know, getting even, you know, that's not my job, you know, that's God's job, but I could at least. I love that expression. You know, but I figured I could just start to, you know, I, I tell my girls every day that um, I, I tell them that every day you're teaching people how to treat you. Right. And so while I didn't have those words at the time, I just slowly started understanding that that every day you're teaching people how to treat you. And, you know, and and now talking about it and, and, you know, now I'm talking about it, it seems like, oh yeah, it was so easy. I just decided to stand up for myself and speak my mind and this and that. It took me 20 years to speak my mind, right? You know, it took, these things took a lot of time, you know, and and the one thing that I didn't, um, didn't conquer until I hit my mid fifties was that feeling of letting people make me believe that I wasn't good enough Mm. or for whatever reason was in their mind, right? Not my mind, but their mind. And, um, you know, and often 
you know, when people who are higher up, their CEOs, their chairmen, their et cetera, and they communicate to you that you're not good enough, if you're not careful, you'll believe them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right. And so, you know, so, so it wasn't all, you know, 10 years in, I'd had all the answers. I conquered everything. You know, I, I wish it had been that easy, but a lot of it also just came out of frustration and just being tired, tired of being overlooked, tired of being treated as though at that time that I didn't have three degrees, you know, tired of being treated as though I was different when I wasn't right? Or, or that I wasn't qualified, you know, when I was probably overqualified. And sometimes I was underqualified, I'll acknowledge that. But, um, you know, it was just, um, it was just a number of lessons and things that I learned along the way. And sometimes it was just a matter of getting sick and tired. You know, as my mother would say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Right? <laughs> I remember my mom saying that. <laughs> right. You know, I, I just have such admiration for you. Uh, one, <clears throat> for the courage that you've displayed. And two, most importantly, being willing to share it today. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, when I hear you speak, I want to volunteer to be one of your daughters. <laughs> the advice they're being given is so rock solid. Mm -hmm. So... Okay, now I want to jump forward to cancer. Cancer, okay. Tell me, you mentioned twice. Tell, let's start yeah. with the first time. Mm -hmm. So as crazy as this sounds, the first time I ignored it, I literally got a cancer diagnosis and I said, well, is this a fast growing cancer? No, it's not fast growing. Okay, so how much time do I need to deal with this? I mean, it was like, they called it like stage 1A. So I wasn't in a hurry. I knew I was going to need to have surgery. And so I pushed it to as far as, far as I could because I was busy, right? I'm working, I'm killing it, right? I'm busy. And, um, and so I pushed it as far off as I could. And then I, and I had surgery. And, um, you know, as I say, you know, I don't have much of my original equipment, you know, of the, the OEM manufacturer of God does, you know, he took some of those parts away. <laughs> and, um, and then um, six months later, um, I was diagnosed with um, aggressive breast cancer. And so then I couldn't ignore it. And, you know, it, it's, it's interesting to me, CB, because I, not at the time, but you know, I've come to believe very strongly in the um, mind-body connection, right? And my body told me I was sick long before I was diagnosed with being sick. Um, and I knew something was wrong. I didn't know what. I was, certainly didn't think it was cancer. And so, you know, the first bout with cancer, I, I, I truly believe I was being sent a message you know, and I just wasn't listening. So when it came back around again, it was like, okay, we're really going to make you listen now. Mm -hmm. And what made the difference is um, my doctor, uh, who I had known because of I, we'd served on a um, board together. Um, she said, Charlene, you know, you are very straightforward in your conversation. And, and so that's how I'm going to speak to you. You need to not work during your treatment, your seven-month active treatment. And I actually kind of laughed. I was like, well, that, that's kind of like the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. And she said, I can almost guarantee you that if you work during your treatment, you'll die before it's over. Wow. That's just so like that. Just, just that blunt. And I thought, okay, this is not something that I could ignore that I had to pay attention to it. And a week later, I told my, my boss and the, chair, the chairman of the company, I said, I have cancer and they believe it's going to be seven months, a seven month treatment. And I need to take off work and I'm leaving next month. And he said, we're team Charlene. So you do what you need to do. And that, um, that started just an incredible, um, 
you know, a journey. People always call it, myself included, the cancer journey. You know, journey implies that you're having some fun. Right. Right. You know, that's that's really not not it when you when you have an illness, but it um it just upended so many things about life for me in ways that I could have never imagined. You know, and people you often will hear people say, Oh, well, this was actually a gift because you know I have so much more now in the way that I look at life. Um, and I do look at my life very differently, my family, my kids, um, the whole thing, but you'll never hear me say cancer was a gift ever, right? Because it was hell, you know, and it led to an, um, an identity crisis that I could not have ever, ever imagined, you know, and, um, and I lost myself in the middle of the, in, of the whole thing. And I hadn't planned on my treatment going from seven months to five years. You know, I had had, I'd had nine surgeries in three years, you know, and, you know, uh, you know, that's disconcerting in and of itself, but, you know, when you go under anesthesia, I think you get a little dumber each time when you come out (laughs) so by the ninth time I was like okay wait a minute what you know this but you know but in all seriousness um I mean it was it was it was horrible it was horrible telling my kids it was horrible watching my girls watch me go through it you know, it was, um, you know, when I lost all my hair and, you know, and, and people who have not been close to it, think that when you lose your hair, that it's a vanity issue, right? And they say, well, you lost your hair, but at least you're still alive. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not about vanity or beauty or any of those things. It's about identity. Yes. It's about all of a sudden you look in the mirror and you don't even know the person who's looking back at you, mm-hmm. right? And the longer it goes on, the more you lose yourself and the more you, you forget like who you were or how to live because now all you know how to do is be sick. Yes. It's, it's crazy. And you, you lose friends um, and it hurts when you lose friends who you thought would be there for you thick and thin but not everybody wants to be around a sick person all the time, mm-hmm. right? Now, you also gain friends. I mean, there were people who stepped up that I barely gave a second thought to sometimes, mm-hmm. you know, so there's, you know, there, there is kind of a balance and a yin and a yang, but, you know, I, I wouldn't wish cancer on my worst enemy. When you say you lost yourself, what does that mean? So I had spent so much time being this, hard charging achievement junkie executive. I knew how to be her. I absolutely knew how to be her. I solved problems. If people needed something, I'm on it. Let me solve this problem for you. Got it. You're good. Okay. Who else can I help? Let's do this. Let's move here. And then what I wasn't used to was asking people for help. Mm. Right. And I had to ask for help because there were things I couldn't do for myself, mm. right? You know, when people would say, oh, do you need anything? I'd say, no, of course not. I, I, I don't need anything at all. The reality was I couldn't walk up a flight of stairs. If I needed to get upstairs, somebody had to help me, right? There were, um, there were times, so, and, and so when that happens, it's like, wait a minute, that's not me. I'm yeah. the one who help other who helps other people, yeah. right? And then around my house, like we all do, we have pictures of our family. We're happy. We're smiling. And I got to a point where I would look at those pictures, and I didn't look like that anymore. And I would stare at them, CB, and I would say, "Not only do I not recognize her, I remember her life, and I'll never be that way again." I'll never have that look in my eyes that the world is my oyster, that I can achieve anything, that the lights won't go out, right? That innocence, um, 
some of that naivete that you can still have when you're in your 40s was still, that light was still behind my eyes in those pictures, but they weren't behind my eyes in real life. You know, and, and I thought to myself, I, I, am I still this hard charging executive? You know, half the time I have chemo fog and I can't even remember whether or not I took my medicine. It was like, who am I? And when I went back to work and I, I did go back to work, not during my active treatment, but in those, those next three, three to four years, I went back to work and it didn't feel right anymore. And it had never not felt right, right? No matter what was coming after me, it, I didn't fit in there anymore. There was too much that had gone on inside me and in my life that I, while I may have, for the most part, you know, throw on a wig and I kind of looked the same, I just was not the same person, but I didn't know who that person was. You know, it's my purpose has always been to be a trailblazer, especially at work and to pave the way for other people, the people who would come behind us. I didn't have the energy nor the desire to be an executive trailblazer anymore. And I'd spent 50, 40 years kind of building up the trailblazing and at least 30 years in corporate being that person. And that person was gone. She didn't want to do it anymore. Did you feel that you didn't want to do it because you were tired or because you had different energy or because, and it could be all of these, because you now have a wisdom of life that other people are naive to. It was probably uh, all of the above. I was tired of the hypervigilance that is required of women of color and especially black women in the workplace. That that hypervigilance, that alone is enough energy for a 50 hour week job. And you have to do that on top of doing your job. And I was just tired of putting my energy in that direction. I also became very aware as you do when you get older and especially when you get sick, you know, I became really aware of my own mortality mm-hmm. and I began to think, what do I want? What, what kind of impact do I want to make? You know, and I was one of those people, you know, when people would say, you know, at your deathbed, you're not going to say, I wish I'd worked another, you know, five years. And I would say to myself, oh no, I am that person. I would say that because that's how much work defined me. But yeah. then I became really aware of my own mortality um, because I, because I nearly died a couple of times during my treatment. And I was very aware of the fact that I might die in, the, in those times. And so then it became, I'm my mother's living legacy. What do I, what kind of impact do I want to make on the world? Right. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean that I want to go out and touch, you know, millions of people, but if I can do things that create that ripple effect, then I am touching those millions of people. And I found that by, you know, every time I have a speaking engagement, you know, and I say my little prayer and my intention before it, my intention is always, let me please touch and change one person's life in this room. Because if I can change one person or one leader, then they change the people that they come in contact with. And it creates, as I meant, that, that ripple effect. So I just had a whole different view on what my purpose of being on this earth was. Well, you know, it's an interesting conversation because when you were, in fact, a trailblazer, you were doing it to make a difference and to help people. Mm-hmm. Now you're still making a difference and helping people. Mm -hmm. So you're doing the same thing, but the meaning has shifted. 
grind. If that makes sense to you. Oh, no, it makes perfect sense. Two, two things have shifted. The meaning, right? And the meaning is so much more personal and real and valuable to me. And I'm doing it for a whole lot less money because I'm not getting that. that <laughs> <laughs> so th those are the two biggies, right? <laughs> you know, and, and you know, I, the, the meaning and the, the value and the sense of purpose and really feeling that every day is really, you know, you can't put a price tag on that, mm -hmm. you know, um, but it's. Yeah, the other thing that happens is you really start to value what's important. Mm -hmm. And what's important has changed. Right. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I, and I, I will say that, you know, there are people who I love dearly that I excised out of my life. They brought, um, they brought bad energy into my life. They were, um, somehow in my way, you know, of me being able to make a difference or whatever it is. And, and, and I really started thinking about, you know, is this friendship serving me yes. or am I serving this friendship? And if so, to what extent and to what purpose, to what end? Right. And, and I really uh, adopted, you know, much to the dismay of my husband, you know, I adopted a view of, you know, I pretty much don't do anything I don't want to do, you know, it, with my time. Yes. Right. It's like this, this is my time and, you know, I'm not wasting it. I am not going to waste a minute of it. Mm -hmm. Right. And that, and audience, let's be clear. We're not talking about a choice of washing the dishes. Right. <laughs> right. We're doing the laundry. <laughs> yeah. You can outsource that stuff. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, now we're, we're talking about time to be, time to mm -hmm. be with others, time to be with yourself, to choosing who to be with, when to right. be. We're talking about taking the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, and every, you know, I, you know, every opportunity to me is an opportunity to make a difference in even the smallest way. You know, it might be really small to you, but it could be huge for someone else. Yes. You know, and you just, you don't, you just don't know, you know, and it doesn't, it, it doesn't take a lot to just be a good person. You know, I, I really um, hold that close to me is, you know, am I being good? Am I being a good person? You know, and would so-and-so believe that I'm treating them like a good person will? And, and it sounds so simple, but, you know, sometimes, so yeah, right. You know, it's, it, it, yeah. <laughs> Let me just say that. It's hard. Right, right. And I just, you know, I don't know. I, like I said, I would never say that cancer is a gift, but I will absolutely 100% say that I'm a better person on the other side of it. I understand what you're saying. I, I, you know, I've known quite a few people with cancer and everybody, everybody says the same thing. Mm hmm you know, mm -hmm. and ironically, ironically, I'm hearing that same thing with COVID survivors. I believe that. I believe that. You know, and and I'm a COVID survivor twice and alone. Mm -hmm. So I'm I'm getting your energy here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It makes you view the world very differently. And when you're faced with your own mortality, that's one hell of a scary thing. It, it, it really is. And you can't, um, you, you can't really explain it to people and you until you go it. through it. Right, yeah, right, it. right. Like, well, oh. we're, well, we're also glad you're still here. Thank so you. make sure Same you here. know that. Same here. Yeah. yeah um, you know, and the whole, the, the chemo fog is not unlike the COVID fog. I've heard that. Yeah. I, I have heard that. And yeah. that's scary because you sit here and you think, am I experiencing 
early Alzheimer's or what mm -hmm. the heck is going on. That, right. You know, I'm not programmed the mm -hmm. way it was. Right. Right. And, and you start to, you can actually, you notice it, you know, like I said, I, ha I have a love affair with words, right? And I'm always doing things to build my vocabulary. So at any time when I can't grasp a simple word, um, I think last, last week, it was altruism. When my daughter and I, we were talking and I was like, what is that word? It starts yes. with an A. What, what is that word? Yes. You know, and it scares you. You're and like frustrating as hell. Right. It's like, where is this coming from? Is this a signal of something else? Am I tired? And then I start kind of doing my body scan. Am I taking care of myself? What am I doing? Am I running myself ragged? It's, but you know, all of those things that, that take you away from a little bit of, of who you are, you know, are, are very frightening. And the triggers, mm -hmm. the triggers it, you know, I found for myself that stress will trigger it because I've thought, you know, it's gone away. It's no longer here. Mm -hmm. And I'll be in a stressful situation and it'll happen. And I, in fact, I think I'm just realizing it now that I'm talking to you. <laughs> oh, <laughs> thank you, doctor. Of course, you're welcome. You're, you're welcome. <laughs> and I won't even send you a bill. How's that? Okay, good, good. <laughs> and you know, you know, it's, we laugh together and it's so good to do that because it's so good to laugh with people who've had experiences that you can relate to deeper than just words. Right. Mm -hmm. Not to say that I've had cancer and I don't want to have it mm -hmm. and COVID. And right. I don't wish that on anybody. Right, and, exactly. So, yeah. Now tell us, with your new knowledge, mm -hmm. your additional heart towards mm -hmm. people and things, what are you doing? Wow. Well, it certainly has changed the way um, the way I relate to people. I'm going to start there uh, because everybody has a story, right? And sometimes we forget that we see people, we make assumptions and we don't like the way people behave. You know, everyone has a story and it's worth asking them, Hey, what's your story? I don't want to just say, hi, how are you? And you say, I'm fine. And we move on. Let's sit down and have a conversation. I want to hear your story. And the other, you know, what am I, what am I doing is, you know, I'm a, um, I'm a keynote speaker and I, um, and I was just talking about this this morning to someone else. I said, you know, I'm a keynote speaker because I have a message to share. And what, and, and the way this came about was um, someone had asked me to do uh, a speaking engagement and then started telling me what they wanted me to have in my speech. Uh, and I said, you know, with all due respect, I am not a um, speaker for hire to talk about X, Y, Z. I said, I am a speaker because I have a message to deliver that needs to be heard to change people's lives. I said, that's what I speak on. Um, and so, you know, delivering that message about um, you are enough, about it being choice, not chance that changes your life and you have a choice, you know, those messages are really important to me. And I've seen them how they empower other people, how, how they can help people break free from whatever it is that's holding them back or that's trapping them. And sometimes it's just themselves, right? And so being able to carry those messages to people is really important to me. You know, as you know, I'm, I'm also a coach and that, you know, and it, as a coach, we work, um, we, we work to the betterment of other people you know, and I think that I get more out of it than anything else. When I see someone make this breakthrough and, and you know, this feeling, right. When you see somebody break through and it's, and it's because you were able to help them do that. That is just so powerful to me. Um, and, and it feels it's selfless, but it feels quite selfish to me because, um, because I get so much, um, so much out of it and so much joy. 
uh, out of it. And, you know, that that's just kind of what I do now. So I want to, you know, I'm known for being, speaking my mind. Okay. I appreciate um, that. Um, yeah, it's gotten me into a lot of trouble, but. Uh, <laughs> like <so> that. <laughs> <laughs> benefit from seeing a lot of success in other people. And mm -hmm. I want to share something with you in the audience. When you first contacted me, you know, the audience I want to want to share with you were both members of MG100. Mm -hmm. And you told me about your background and you wanted to be a superior coach. And, and I'm mm -hmm. listening to you and I'm thinking, I don't hear anything. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know how to help this person. Mm -hmm. I wasn't hearing your heart. Right. And that's something to me as a coach of coaches and being the CEO of the Association of Corporate Executive Coaches is very, very important. I will drop whatever I'm doing when I hear somebody's heart. And I remember just sort of gently pushing you away, really kind of gently, at least I hope it was gently. <laughs> now I hear your heart. And I think that the people that you coach, if you speak to them the way that you've spoken to us, the audience, they're so lucky because what you can see in them and see what they don't have is courage and heart. And that's really the solution to all problems. And I hear that you have that now. So kudos to you. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, it, you know, even becoming a coach, to your point, I mean, becoming a coach has been a journey as well. And really understanding that as a coach, you are working with people about their lives, right? I mean, not just, you know, there may be a specific situation, but coaching is rarely about, rarely about what you think it's going to be about, right? Even with, with each session, you know, and you are impacting someone's life yeah. and how they're able to walk through the world, Absolutely. right? And that can't be, you know, you have to understand that. You have to understand and really hold gently that power. Yeah. And, you know, and I think when, you know, to your point, when I, when I first became a coach or when I used to say, when I first, which was probably a red flag, when I first started this coaching thing, right. You know, <laughs> it's like, you know, and kind of figuring out what it, what it is and what it, you know, and what it isn't, um, you know, I'm thinking, oh, you listen to people, you give them some advice, you say, here, <laughs> this is what I would do. And, and then you go on to it and then, uh, you know, you know, next kind of thing. And. It's so much more than and that. That's, I think that's about the time that I met you. You were right. moving through that process. Mm -hmm. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And and now it's just so, you know, I, I just think about uh, my own growth, right? Mm -hmm. and, my, and my ability to help others grow has changed so dramatically, yes. you know, and with, with coaching and even with, um, you know, with speaking. You know, as I said, you know, I I, I won't speak on any topic. Yeah. That that well, doesn't serve. Other, when you become a master coach, you really become a great speaker, I believe. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because I mean you're communicating to your clients, right? Right. To me, a master coach is not somebody who cites uh, rules and regulations or goes mm -hmm. by a script. Right. By an association. Mm -hmm. To me, being a master coach means hearing. Right. For what is not being said. Mm -hmm. Right. That's where the information is that you need to guide. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And that takes a special skill set. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. You know, one of my favorite um, questions in coaching that I ask my clients when they'll say something, they've had some kind of discovery and they'll say something and I'll say, how does that feel? You know, and they'll tell me what they're thinking. And I'll say, no, no, no. I want you to pay attention to your body. How does it feel when you say that? Tell me, what do you feel it in your stomach? Do you feel it in your chest? Where do you feel it? And when they connect those two and the power that comes out of that, it's just so exciting. exciting. Yeah. yeah, you just want to kind of jump up and down. But uh, yeah. yeah, it's just that has been, becoming a coach has truly been a blessing. Well, we have a great profession. Right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm noticing the time. And so I want to continue our conversation, mm -hmm. but I want to respect our audience and to be a little bit of devil here to say, mm -hmm. come back for part two. <laughs> so Charlene is not going any place. Mm -hmm. um, and we are going to continue the conversation. We're going to come back for part two. Great. Thank you.